truly at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 133. In this show, we have an interview with an artist who adopted a rescue dog with special needs. Teresa from San Antonio Bulldog Rescue called me that same day and said, I think I have a dog for you. She has one eye. She's grumpy. (laughs) She has bad hips and a limp. And I said, great. We also have the Dogcast Radio News. But before all that, we have a revealing interview with Linda Goodman, who has founded Cariad, which is a coalition of various charities and other concerned dog-related organisations in Wales who've joined together to fight puppy farming. However, the first thing I talked to Linda about was the Guardian campaign, which is actually nothing to do with the newspaper of that name. Well, yes, the Guardian campaign, it's a very simple idea, and yet something that can have such an incredible impact on, on animal welfare... It's not my idea. I cannot claim that it was my brainchild. In fact, it started in the United States in 1999, uh, and it was uh, created by the most wonderful and compassionate man you'll ever meet, um, Dr. Elliot Katz, a very famous vet over there. And he had come to the conclusion he wasn't very happy with, he didn't feel comfortable with the way that animals were being treated, and certainly in places like universities uh, and laboratories, and he just felt that there needed to be a change in the law to help um, to make sure that these animals were given more respect. So the Guardian campaign was formed then, and it basically, in its most simple terms, it equates to changing our language. So instead of being owners in, in terms of the law, uh, they replace the word with guardian. Now, guardian may not be a word that people in the United Kingdom find that um, appealing. They may prefer carer or respecter or whatever, but in principle, what we're saying is the same thing, that we do not have the opinion that we own these animals like we would own a computer or a car or any other commodity, because if that is the way that the general public view their, their sentient animals, their domestic companion animals, it means that they are free to do what they like with them. That means to buy, sell, breed, um, destroy at will or on a whim. Mm. And that clearly is, is wrong and is something that's causing a lot of problems now, I think, in our own society. So I, I contacted him uh, and... I'd asked him whether or not, you know, because I was so taken with this idea. And I said, you know, has has anyone ever approached you about doing this in the UK? And he said, well, a couple of people have, but we never heard back from them. And I said, well, I would love to take this forward because I totally believe in what you're doing. And I really think we need it. So he's, you know, long conversation short, he said, fantastic. Um, Feel free to use all of our information and, and, you know, turned it into a UK campaign. So earlier last year, that's what I did. To be perfectly honest, the Guardian campaign is only run by me. There isn't, any, there isn't a team of people. It's just me at the moment. But there's a reason for that, which I'm sure we'll come on to later on. That <laughs> um, uh, even though um, we did a lot, well, I did a lot of press releases and, and got a lot of good feedback about it, um, 
it really needed a, a, a very physical demonstration, if you like, of why it was so needed. And um, the, the great thing about what's happened in the States is as a result of the Guardian campaign, and it has taken over 10 years for this to happen, but even so, I think there are about 20 cities now in the, in the, in the U.S. where they have actually changed their ordinances and they've taken the word owner out of all their literature and replaced it with the word guardian. Hmm. And what that actually equates to is that people are therefore more responsible for the care and welfare of their animals. And if anyone is, you know, abusing or, you know, neglecting an animal, the law has then got greater powers to punish them. Mm, that's fantastic. Mm. And I think one of the big issues we have over here at the moment is that the penalties for animal cruelty are so lenient. Yeah. The the implication of the word, you know, I, I've written before about sort of, you know, I do regard myself as my, my dog's parent, you know. And, Absolutely. You know, I know, I know it, it's twee, but I do say, shall mummy get this or shall mummy do that? <laughs> and I know, you know, but in, in quite, a, you know, in a very real sense, I am taking the um the role of parent you know i teach him i'm responsible for his education i show for him round i you know he's exercise he's you know all of that kind of thing that you do for a child and obviously you do it in a different way for a dog you know and that caring role and that does that's very much covered by guardian absolutely and you know people take on animals for a lot of the wrong reasons sometimes they don't understand when they take on a puppy for example mm. that they have to dedicate maybe 14 or more years of their life to that to that animal. Mm. You know, it's not disposable when you suddenly become bored with it. Um, and so for people, I mean, people like us, obviously, yes, my animals, my dogs, my animals have always been a part of my family. I have a horse, a rescue horse. He doesn't live in the house, but he is still as important to me as, as my dogs, you know. Mm. Because I'm responsible for him, um, I'm responsible for my dogs, I'm responsible for everything to do with them. They can't do it themselves, they can't get their own food, they can't brush out their dead hair, they, you know, they can't yeah. do those things. So it is exactly like having to be responsible for a child. And I guess, you know, in, in the way that a, a marriage is different from a wedding, you know, you, you, anybody can go out and buy a dog. But you've got to think about meeting that dog's needs. And again, there's that implication of a continued role, isn't it? You're not an owner. You haven't just gone out and bought it. You've got to be there for the rest of that dog's life. Yes, mm. exactly. And I think something else that's very interesting, and, and I was really thrilled to see it in Dogs Today in the February issue, they made a, uh, there was a very good article there on the connection between animal cruelty and um, serial killers. I don't know if you read it, but it was called The Cruelty Connection. And it says, and if I can quote, soft sentencing for animal cruelty not only reflects how little our society values pets, but is also incredibly short-sighted with a proven link between animal and human cruelty. Early intervention is essential. And they've actually listed the number of people. Um, you will find that pretty much all of these people started out experimenting with cruelty on animals before they moved on to children. Mm. And that is very frightening. It is, it is, yeah. That's, I mean, it's, um, it is horrific. I mean, I came across a video on, on YouTube that I didn't know what it contained, and, and it was somebody actually throwing a cat. And it, it is a horrible thing to see, and I just, I just burst into tears. It, it is so violent, the, the abuse, and... and 
it really does need cutting out and, as, and, and and you know on its own grounds but as you say if it's if it's a start of of something else as well it definitely needs yeah. some I think that's the thing I mean obviously dog lovers are, are easy to persuade about the responsibilities they take on the people who are less interested in having a dog as part of their family or perhaps aren't even interested in dogs at all maybe cat people maybe not interested in animals it's still important for them to understand that animal cruelty in a society is the start of a spiral into human cruelty as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've talked to... The, there was the, um, the lady who was called the poodle martyr, Jill Crow, and, um, you know, her experiences were awful, where the, 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 police, the police attitude was, your dog is just like a piece of evidence. It's just like if we came and, and took a spanner or a hammer, and that was the attitude mm. there, which was shocking. Yes. We do have a lot of issues to, to overcome in terms of authority organisations mm. um, as well as the public when it comes to you know, trying to convince people about how serious this issue really is. You know, um, one of my favourite quotes is, is by Gandhi, uh, the, great, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way it treats its animals. Mm. Well, you know, the way things are in the UK at the moment... I'd say our moral progress is very, very low. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you mentioned it took, was it 20 years in America to sort of... It's actually, well, it, 1999 was when it started in the States. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would hate to think it would take that long here yes. now, that, yeah. because there are actually over 6 million people in America and Canada who are classed as guardians now. And so, you know, the next phase is for us to actually grasp it and, um, and try and move things forward. And that will take a lot of effort from the public. Mm. This isn't something I can do by myself. All I can do is lead them down the path and hope that they respond. Yeah, yeah. I guess by getting the, the um, discussion out there, you're making people look at how they, how they word things, how they think about their animals, and that can only be for the good, can't it? Absolutely. Discussion's important. Debate is very important. You know, the, the thing is that there will be a lot of people who will be a- against this idea because in, if you elevate the status of dogs, for example, um, from being what many people in certain communities consider as livestock rather than domestic companion animals, mm. um, you are going to affect their income. So obviously it's not in their interest to support this kind of move. But there will also be a lot of other people out there who understand that it is just common sense. Mm. And, um, yeah, so, but it's going to be a big job, a big ask. Although I've never been afraid of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, where can people find out more about the, the Guardian campaign online? Uh, yeah, the address is uh, www.guardiancampaign.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you're on Twitter. Are you on Facebook? Uh, we're not, I'm not on Facebook with the Guardian campaign mm-hmm. simply because the American version is on there and I didn't want us to be in competition with each other because it's just, it, you know, it's too similar. They have obviously, um, in fact, the Guardian campaign in the States came about through In Defense of Animals, who are an amazing organization. You know, they've campaigned against having live animals in circuses and, and any number of dreadful animal abuses. So the Guardian campaign is, is one of many things that they have um, they've got the same address except it's .com instead of .co.uk so if people want to read more about what they've done 
you know, they can look at that site and see how we've possibly anglicised it <laughs> more. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Now, um, we're going to move on to talk about Cariad. Um, you are based in Wales now. Um, yeah. And this sort of, this love of animals and, and your urge to sort of protect them and make life as good as possible for them um, led you to, um, is form the right word? Did you form Cariad or? Yes, I founded Cariad. Yeah. Okay, yep. so... Mm-hmm. So you founded Cariad. So first of all, I, I love this. Tell us what Cariad stands for and tell us what Cariad means in Welsh. Okay. Cariad, uh, st- it stands for care and respect includes all dogs. Mm-hmm. In Welsh, it means beloved, mm. adored, loved, all those things. Mm. Which and, it is, uh, it, that is so befitting, isn't it? That is exactly how your dog, well, all your animals should be, beloved. Exactly. Yeah. It's so subtle and we wanted to have something that wasn't too aggressive or in your face because, you know, people tend to be very, uh, if you're campaigning for animal welfare, if you are too aggressive, I find it just has exactly the opposite effect. So we're not an aggressive campaign. Mm. We are trying to educate people and change laws again um, through intelligent debate, really. Yeah, yeah. Now, there is a problem in Wales with with puppy farming and, and that's sort of the main problem that Cariad is, is, is fighting against, isn't it? It is. Um, in fact, Cariad was formed as a result of some protests, peaceful protests, obviously, against a very large-scale uh, puppy farm that was being given planning permission in Carmarthenshire. And it had, it had, what happened, basically, was we all went along and it became apparent that there were lots of different people representing lots of different um, organisations, shelters, charities, and it was also disparate that really it seemed like a really sensible idea to bring us all together under one banner and be united mm. in, in fighting it. And that's actually how Cariad was born. And, you know, it, it seemed to, it just seemed to capture people's imagination. Today, six months on, we now have 28 members, 28 mm. coalition members all across Wales, um, made up of, of charities, dog rescues and other organizations, campaigning organizations. And, um, uh, and to, to be honest, I'm kind of overwhelmed by how much of a positive response we've had so fast. Mm. Yeah. It's been fantastic. That is great because, I mean, particularly now with, with um, the Internet that can sort of keep you in touch so well, but that, that is brilliant to have so many people coming together to fight the same cause. And, of course, you know, as you say, it's very difficult for one person to keep that momentum going. But when there's so many people to help and sort of say, oh, we'll do this or can you do, you know, that, that really does help it and, and push it forward. It does, you know, and the members are very committed to fighting this because they're, they're actually on the front lines of, of, well, shall we say, picking up the pieces of what puppy farming leaves behind. Mm. And that is the overpopulation of dogs and the numbers that have been abandoned and, and dumped. Uh, basically, I think some, uh, some people have used the, the terrible situation we have with the economy as, a, as an excuse for that. I think others have taken on dogs without fully comprehending what's involved in caring for them. Um, other people just get bored. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's, a, that's just a sad fact. But, um, you know, when Cariad started out, we were, uh, apart from the, the coalition members, who, as I say, are based around Wales, 
there had to be a team of people administering things and, and just kind of coordinating everything. Mm. And it, if you think that six months ago, there were three of us sitting around a table. Our last committee meeting, we had 12 people, mm. really, you know, committed people from different backgrounds. And we were then able to set up working groups so that everyone had um, a, a, whatever their specialty was. It meant that we could either have a fundraising group or events or people who were very good with freedom of information and legislation. Um, you know, it, it really has, it just continues by the day to evolve. Um, it's extremely tiring and sometimes it is so emotionally draining with what we see. Mm. But I really feel that we are going to get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've said, you've mentioned there it's it's extremely draining what you see. I mean, Mm. puppy farming can be extremely horrific. So, I mean, what is the situation? We we know there's a problem, but what is the extent of the the problem in Wales? Well, Wales is is the home of puppy farming in the UK. It's known as the hub of puppy farming. And if, uh, without giving too much away about where I live, I actually live in the heart of, of puppy farming land, you really cannot sneeze and without coming across a, a puppy farm. And I'm not talking about small scale. Mm. I'm, I'm talking volume breeders, as, as certain um, breeding clubs would refer to them. Um, I think that the biggest issue we have is that the words puppy farming are not something that people really are still grasping. You know, people have been campaigning against puppy farming for over 25 years. And actually, we have more puppy farms now than ever before Ah. for two reasons. One, somebody once said, and and I don't know who they are, but I'd really like to meet them. But they did say that puppy farming was a viable form of farming diversification. Mm. I have, you know, I mean, you hear it time and time again in, in planning meetings, councils, and um, you just think, come on, you have to be yeah. kidding. These are not livestock. No. And actually, the conditions we find the dogs living in are so much worse than any farmer would treat their livestock in many instances. It is mm. exceptional. I mean, you, we're talking about breeding bitches that are sometimes just chained up the whole time in small pens, concrete pens. They've never seen sky. They've never felt grass under their feet. And then their puppies are taken away from them when they're too young. And they don't get fresh water. They they hardly ever get food. They're literally treated like... Oh, I mean, I, I can't even find the words to say what it's like to see these dogs. Mm, mm. It It is inhumane, and it seems to me the only concern is, is for money. It's not certainly no concern for the dog. No concern for the owner who's going to, sorry, the guardian who's going to be looking <laughs> after that. I'm learning, I'm learning. The guardian who's going to be looking after that dog and he's maybe, you know, bringing into their house some heartbreak when, you know, when the, if the dog has illness or dies. Um, well, absolutely. These puppies are so often, um, they are diseased. They carry terrible hereditary conditions. And, um, you know, a lot of the time when people have bought these puppies, they end up um, only having them for a very short time because they die Mm. or they have to be put to sleep or if they do live, then they're lumbered with thousands of pounds worth of veterinary bills for the rest of their lives. And that's another area why I think a lot of dogs are being dumped at the moment because that's what people are finding. Yeah, yeah. One thing that occurs to me is, obviously, 
I would have thought people are beginning to think I'm, I shouldn't buy from a puppy farm. How do the, the puppy farmers, you know, hide what's really going on? Do people actually go to these farms and buy, or are the puppies all shipped off to shops? I'm really, really glad you brought that up because whilst so many organisations are highlighting the issue of puppy farming right now, which is fantastic because it is a very hot topic, very few people are able to explain the reasons why the general public keep being caught out. Mm. Um, because obviously, yes, people probably know by now that no um, responsible ethical breeder would ever sell their puppies to a pet shop, ever. That mm. just you know, absolutely goes without saying. They won't sell them on classifieds on, online oh. either. Mm-hmm. And there goes one of them. <laughs> um, but the other thing that they don't understand, and it's something that we need to start communicating better, is the extremely sophisticated network of dealers. Now, this is where the dogs are picked up from the puppy farms, shipped across from Wales into England or everywhere else, basically, and then they are distributed into family homes where many people pass them off as homebred dogs and work on a commission for every pup they sell. And that's something that most most people don't realise, no. and that's the shocking part of it because it is so clever. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that really is horrific that there are people that are willing to do that. Um, mm. How can we make sure we're not buying? You know, if we think we're going to this family home and the puppies have been brought brought up nicely and stuff like this, how can we, if we're going to buy a puppy, how can we make sure we're not? feeding that, that horrific chain that's, that's, that's feeding back to the puppy farmer? That is a catch-22 question at the moment. I think that the supply and demand issue, um, it's, it's a very sensitive subject because if I was to say the only way to stop puppy farming is to stop the demand for puppies in the first place. If people stopped buying puppies for a year or two, there would be no demand and you know, puppy farming would would not become would not be profitable anymore. Mm. So, if people didn't buy from pet shops, people ceased to buy on you know the free sites online. Um, if people ceased to buy from people's family homes without seeing the parents, um, you know, all of those things would help. I think that the biggest issue right now is that the responsible and ethical thing for people to do is actually rehome a rescue dog because you know a puppy is only a puppy for a very short space of time it is a dog for life yes so anyone who just wants a puppy don't buy don't even get a dog if that's what you want if you just want a puppy buy one in a toy shop and 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 Mm. you know but if you want a dog get a dog because there are so many out there right now that are desperate and they're dying by the day because Mm. we can't find enough homes for them you know um Today was a very good example of that, and I think, as I mentioned to you before we, we started the interview, you know, Facebook is um, it's a wonderful medium for fi- you know, finding out which dogs need rescuing from pounds and when their time is up and, and all of that, but it is just so heartbreaking and so depressing to see it day in, day out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of the atrocities that happen to dogs in the UK today can be traced back to puppy farming, because if we didn't have... So many dogs, too many dogs, basically, for a population that doesn't want them, mm. they wouldn't be so readily available. Atrocities like dog fighting, 
for example, you know, dogs are cheap now. They're, they're easy to get hold of. People really, they steal dogs, of course, but mm. there's not that much need to. If you go online, people will say free to a good home. Yeah. And then there you have the whole situation of a dog being used as training bait for, fight, for dog fighting rings. Mm. You know, all of these things stem from the overpopulation of dogs, which all come back to puppy farming. Sorry, mm-hmm. I do tend to go off on one, but you know it's <laughs> it is it's I'm, I'm very passionate about it and mm-hmm. well, I mean we we need people like you to you know show the rest of us how we can I mean there's a lot of passion about it, but you know it's easy to think, oh, that's dreadful, and then carry on with your life. I mean, if people want to support you, and I'm sure they will want to, what's the best way to support Cariad? <laughs> the best way to support Cariad is to is to rescue dogs, uh, not to buy puppies right now, because what we want to do is we want to end an industry that is responsible for so much misery and cruelty. And the only way to do that is, is to stop the demand. If people really want a puppy, then I would suggest they have got to go to a recognized, respected, um, you know, breeder who can mm. provide, you know, I have, I have once, experienced this and I went to the I traveled hundreds of miles to get a puppy this is many many years ago mm. and I saw the father the mother the grandparents yes and these yeah. people this is you know okay the puppy was expensive but at least you know I had <laughs> I had done my homework yeah. um, and of course that was in the days before we had the opportunity to buy them online and all that sort of yeah. thing it yeah. just wasn't that easy yeah um one more question then while I've got you on. If, if people think that they're going to a nice family home and they think everything is, is kosher, is good, <laughs> they go in, they start suspecting, you know, things aren't right, the, the parents aren't there. If the bitch isn't with the litter as well, you know, you really have got to think, hang on, what's going on? If mm. they find themselves in that situation where they think this is not right, I'm, you know, they're suspecting this has come from the puppy farm, what should they be doing then? Right. The best thing for them to do is to contact us uh, or contact Puppy Love Campaigns. Puppy Love has done uh, so much over the last few years to raise awareness. They're, they were our first uh, coalition member and, you know, I work very, very closely with them. Um, but, yes, people do need to report it to us so that we can investigate further. Mm. And presumably don't buy the puppy. Uh, presumably don't buy the puppy, yes. It's a really tricky one because, you know, once, you've, once you're there and, yeah. and you've, you're seeing the puppy, you've got it in your hands, whatever, it's desperately hard to leave that puppy there. Mm. And a lot of people find they fall into that trap in pet shops as well. Mm. You know, once they've seen the puppy, once there's a bit of pester power going on with the kids, you can't, uh, you know, it's human nature. It's very difficult to say no. Mm. But the best thing they can do for the rest of the dogs out there is to say no. Yeah. If they can manage to do that, they will be doing a huge service to mm-hmm. the rest of the dogs that are suffering because that, that, that puppy will just be replaced by another one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's obviously, it's a, it's a huge problem. It's a very sad area. And it, as you say, it, it's an emotional area. Um, where can people find out more about Cariad online? Right, yes. The Cariad is uh, com. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, is Cariad on Twitter or Facebook? 
Carryout is on both. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Carryout is at Carryout Campaign uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. It's via Carryout Hound. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the best of luck with the Guardian campaign and Carryout. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been really great to talk to you, and I really hope that you know we've, we're going to help to make a difference. If you would like to find out more about Cariad or the Guardian campaign, we have links to both on the Dogcast Radio site. I think what particularly horrified me there was the way farmed puppies are being put into family homes and sold as lovingly bred dogs. Puppy farming is a huge problem, not just in Wales or indeed the UK, but probably wherever you live there's a puppy farm not far away, and it's a problem we have to find an effective solution to. Cariad had planned to have a conference, but it had to be cancelled after threats were made to the safety of those attending. And Linda deals with danger on an almost daily basis, so well done to her for carrying on and maintaining her passion in the face of such opposition. The way forward is for the scrupulous members of the dog world to unite, and I think Cariad is a very forward-looking organisation and we'll be keeping in touch with them. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. We're often told that dogs are descended from wolves and a lot of training and behavioural theory is based on this fact. But new research carried out by an international team of scientists at Durham University in England suggests that modern dogs have very little in common with their ancestors. The team pointed out that although breeds such as the Akita, Afghan Hound and Sharpei have been classed as ancient, they are no closer to the first domestic dogs than other breeds due to the effects of cross-breeding. Researchers analysed genetic data from 1,375 dogs, representing 35 breeds, and also looked at data showing generic samples of wolves. The research did reveal that several breeds, including Basenjis, Salukis and Dingoes, possess a different genetic signature, which previous studies have claimed to be evidence for their ancient heritage. However, the team concluded that this was actually because they were geographically isolated and were not part of the 19th century Victorian-initiated kennel clubs that blended lineages to create most of the breeds that we keep as pets today. And on the subject of breeds... Pit bulls have had some positive headlines, as Ohio in the USA has removed them from their vicious dogs list. This is very much in line with the deed not breed mantra of most of the dog world, and Ohio will now legally define dogs as dangerous by his behaviour alone and not by his breed, which is great news. Recently in the UK, dogs out and about on walks have been having odd encounters. Rover, a 12-year-old Collie Labrador cross, was enjoying a walk in the grounds of Edinburgh Royal Infirmary in Scotland with his owner Stephen Miller, when he suddenly stopped dead and started barking at an overflow pipe, which he refused to leave even when Stephen tried to call him away. It soon emerged that there was a fox cub stuck in the pipe, and Stephen called the SPCA, who freed the cub and took it into a rescue centre. If Rover hadn't alerted anyone to the cub's presence, it would have died, but happily now it will be nursed back to health and released later this year. Meanwhile, in Kent in the south of England, a dog walker had a much more unusual encounter. Alex Pooley and her golden retriever Shackleton were enjoying a walk when their path was crossed by a wallaby. 
The marsupial seemed quite curious and bounded right up to Alex, who managed to grab a few seconds of video before an excited Shackleton chased it off. But enough of mysterious encounters, and on to a dog who himself sparked a mystery. Visitors to Brooklyn's Prospect Park have been spotting a so-called ghost dog for several years. A large brown dog with dark stripes would appear, but would disappear just as soon, and nobody could ever get close enough to capture him. The ghost dog myth grew. It was discussed on the Brooklynian.com website, it gained the nickname Prospero, and was even the subject of a short documentary. But finally, a dog fitting the description of the ghost dog, a 109-pound Italian mastiff called Cane Corso, has been captured and is in the care of New York City Animal Care and Control. Although the dog has medical problems, calls to adopt him are flooding in. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. Dogs have a way of finding the people who need them, filling an emptiness we don't even know we have. Tom Jones. I've said before that when I come across some dog-related stories, I can't wait to talk to the people involved. And the story of Piper the Bulldog is one of those. Jessica Stone already had one rescue dog, Roxy, when she decided to adopt another rescue dog. But this time, she was looking for a dog with special needs. Yes, I have a special place in my heart for dogs who might be more difficult to adopt out. Um, Roxy was really sick when we got her, and she had signs of abuse and um, she's just a really sensitive dog and Mm. um, it made me appreciate special dogs even more and um, when I got out of high school I adopted a dog from the pound um, from a kill shelter and then a couple years after that I adopted another one and so um, I just I just think that it's really important to um, adopt and give a good life to um, a dog who might not have a chance. Um, Roxy was on the euthanasia list, and she was going to be put to sleep within 24 hours. Wow. And Yeah. And um, so then uh, we had Roxy, I think after three years. I mean, we still have her, but mm. after three years, I got the itch to adopt another dog. And so last October, we were lucky enough to get Piper. Yeah, yeah. Now, Piper, I've only read about Piper online, but Piper certainly sounded as if she was going to be quite a challenge, didn't she? Yes. um, (laughs) She, (laughs) I filled out the application and um, Teresa from San Antonio Bulldog Rescue called me that same day and said, I think I have a dog for you. She has one eye. She's grumpy. (laughs) She has bad hips and a limp. And I said, great, let's uh, drive to San Antonio and um, go see her. And we fell in love with her right when we met her. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, I mean, she is a very pretty dog actually, isn't she? She is. We think she is. I think she's so beautiful and um she's very entertaining um but people 
I don't think her fans want to believe that she actually is grumpy. (laughs) And and you have to be very patient with her. Um, You can't bother her when she's sleeping. You can't startle her. Um, Mm. She has to know that you're there before you pet her. Mm. And you, you see, I, I don't like to be disturbed when I'm sleeping, so I, I can identify with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't think you'll growl and snap. At oh, I don't know. <laughs> some, some days. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, it, it's. Uh, I, I guess a lot of people sort of passed over Piper and sort of thought, no, not the dog for me. But did did she settle well with you straight away? Uh, no. Um, she... I shouldn't say no because she's always been really sweet and entertaining, mm. but um, it definitely was a challenge, mm. uh, and it still is. Like we still work on um, hugging her and grabbing her from behind, just giving her a little hug, and then we tell her good snuggle. And yeah. uh, she, I don't know if anybody ever cuddled with her. Aww. She does not. She doesn't know how to snuggle, and she's eight or nine years old. So that Aww. makes me really sad. Isn't that sad? Yes, because I mean, when you think of, I think of our three, and they love a cuddle. I know it's not a natural behaviour for a dog, but they kind of learn to appreciate it from from humans. They, you know, certainly their their own humans that they trust. Maybe not strangers, but that's sad, isn't it? It is really sad. Our other dog, Roxy, is the most affectionate creature and she sleeps in the bed with us and she puts her head on your lap she gets in our laps when we're working on the computer um even though she's 45 pounds (laughs) and uh english bulldogs are usually affectionate and um, like like to snuggle and um that is not piper piper is affectionate she'll she loves to meet new people she'll give them kisses but Mm. she mostly just wants to be scratched she wants to be petted um and she doesn't want to get on your lap and snuggle with you Mm. i just Mm. don't think she knows that's okay yeah yeah you know they all have their own little personalities and quirks and preferences and you know that's that's the joy of dogs really isn't it yes and there is never a dull moment with her (laughs) she provides endless entertainment and smiles even if she's being grumpy or naughty it's the cutest thing yeah yeah now obviously um piper was very lucky to find you you know in many ways but she's actually sort of um started to copy your behavior and she paints doesn't she she does it's the strangest thing i uh i didn't train her at all um she, she she has really bad hips, and so she doesn't run except for food. When, no. when it's dinner, <laughs> dinner time, she'll run into the kitchen. But she immediately, every time I would paint, I'd shake up a can of paint or bring out my brush. She would run into the studio and just sit there and watch me paint. And I thought it was bizarre because none of my other dogs had cared when I painted. Mm. And... So after about six weeks of her doing this every single time I painted, I said to my husband, I'm going to stick a brush in her mouth and see what happens. I think she wants to paint. Mm. <laughs> and uh, she, I held the paper, and she didn't try to run away with the paintbrush. Um, she just stayed there and wiggled her head and chewed on the brush, and it was fun for her. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, like you say, I mean, you didn't train her to do it. And dogs don't really do things then they don't enjoy, you know, without a certain amount of training. Um, so it, it is something she's just taken to, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's bizarre. And in our te- her technique is really basic, um, but it's it's something that we do together that she enjoys. It's an activity, playtime for her. She doesn't really care about yeah. chewing on dog toys. Mm. And, um, you know, most dogs would take the brush and run away with yes. it and think <laughs> it's a, a, a bone or something. Yeah, yeah. and eat the paint and yes. <laughs> Yeah, oh, my, Roxy will come in there and she'll try to lick the bristles with the paint on them, so. Yeah, and I mean, how much much painting do you get done? Is it the case that sort of if Piper's around, she wants to paint, or does she have moods when she wants to paint and then she'll have, you know, time she she just wants to relax? Some, most of the time she wants to paint, and most of the time when I paint without her, she gets upset with me. So, she, there have only been a few times where she wasn't that interested in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, after she did her the first painting, I thought, oh, this is a great way to, or after she sold her first painting, uh, yeah. this is a great way to, to raise money for her rescue group. And, um, and then we didn't realize what a big hit she would be on Facebook. Mm. And so she started selling paintings and then we were able to donate, um, reprints and photos of her and some original paintings to other rescue groups who were having auctions so they could raise money too. So it's just been a wonderful experience for us because we couldn't afford to make those donations without Piper's uh, painting career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's lovely, though, because, you know, certain um, rescue dogs, like I'm thinking, of, you know, there was Cactus Jack, that little Yorkshire Terrier cross that sort of was found in a cactus and he had the, the spines in his face. You know, and certain rescue dogs uh, catch the public imagination, you know, and they get homed, Um uh, you know, and I think it's lovely that with Piper, you're using her, um, you know, talents to give back to the rescue society. I do think that's lovely. So other rescue dogs are, are, are benefiting from her talents. Yes, yes. We're really lucky the last um, few weeks when Piper was on TV, uh, the orders just started flooding in, I guess you could say, and uh, now she has a custom order waiting list, and so we're able to donate um, a a good amount, in my opinion, to her rescue group just in the last three weeks, and her rescue group is a really small group, and so they appreciate everything. I mean, even $5 means a lot to them because it helps for medical bills, and so some other groups, like Wishkit, um, I think that's how you say it. It's supposed to be like biscuit with wish in front of it instead of the b. Mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, they have just started. If you buy their stickers and magnets and pick San Antonio Bulldog Rescue, some of the money goes to her rescue group, or you can pick your favorite rescue on there. Um, and then there's the Dog Empire made a cartoon face of Piper and they sell t-shirts and then 
portion of that goes to San Antonio, and then also there's a woman who makes necklaces, and so all these people are getting involved. Um, they're involved with other rescue groups too, but I just it's so fascinating to me how. Uh, appreciative people have been and all these other nonprofit groups and people who want to give back to and um, who have combined things with Piper, if that makes sense. And, you know, Piper has no idea that she's helping all these other dogs. (laughs) She she hasn't become a diva yet, then? Oh, no, she is a diva. (laughs) She definitely is a diva. And she loves the camera, and she loves the attention, um, but she doesn't realize that that she's helping other dogs in need. Or maybe she does, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I'm sure, you know, people are really intrigued with this story. Um, Where can they find out more uh, about you and Piper Online, and where can they buy um, her paintings and, and and the pictures of her, the photos of her? Well, uh, Piper's website is piperstoneartwork.com, and there um, are links to her Etsy, I don't know if it's Etsy or Etsy, I hear it both ways, store, where you can buy the um, photos of her, her original paintings, reproductions, and other stuff. And um, there's also a link on her website to Facebook, so you can follow her and my website is jessicastoneartwork.com. Um, but people are more interested in Piper. I just can't <laughs> compete with a one-eyed painting bulldog. I, I, I probably call myself her sidekick now. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, you do get relegated, don't you? You know who the big attraction but, is, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, do you know, we um we have three dogs and one is a border collie and he is a red merle border collie and he is quite striking looking and so when we're out and about and you'll hear oh how gorgeous and they're always talking about the dog never about me yes <laughs> <laughs> you could get a complex couldn't you <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, well, excellent. I'm so glad that Piper's, you know, happy with you, and I hope she has many more years of, of painting with you as well. Thank you. We do too. Piper really is a very pretty dog, and you can see photos of her on the Dogcast Radio site, where you'll also find links to Piper's site and Facebook page. That sounds to me like a really happy ending, because in Jessica, Piper has found someone who can look past her issues, understand her, and meet her needs even if that means sharing paint and brush with her. I love it. The puppy is but a dog, plus high spirits and minus common sense. Agnes Replier. I'm hoping that before our next show, we'll attend a heat of scruffs. The Kennel Club's dog show especially for non-pedigree dogs. And, of course, we'll be bringing you coverage and interviews. Don't forget, if you enjoy the Dogcast Radio News, you can get a weekly dose of dog-flavoured news in the Dog News Show, where Debbie Connolly and I discuss topical news stories with honesty and humour. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S radio.com if you'd like to get in touch with us and wherever you are in the world we'd love to hear from you you can do so in a variety of ways you can contact us on skype 
with the ident dog cast radio that's all one word dog cast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file that way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 all these methods of contacting us can be found on our website which is www.dogcastradio.com and as ever the final word goes to jenny how do you keep a dog from barking in your front yard put it in your backyard